0: I think I like not being comfortable because I think the writer has done something. I don't want to feel safe when I'm reading because that's an experience in itself.
1: I'm Nathan Maharaj, and this is Kobo in Conversation. My guest is Lindsay Wong, author of the memoir The Woo Woo, which listeners may recognize as a 2019 Canada Reads finalist, as well as the YA novel My Summer of Love and Misfortune. And she has a new short story collection, which I'm so excited to talk with her about. It's called Tell Me Pleasant Things About Immortality. Lindsay Wong, welcome to Kobo.
0: Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here.
1: Listeners might know you best from your best selling memoir, The Woo Woo. You've actually been writing short fiction since before that book was published. I understand you kind of picked up magical realism as a like would we call it a therapeutic escape from finding a publisher for that for that first book
0: that's correct. Um, people always say, you know, get a new project while you're waiting for your book to be published. And, and so for me, um, I ended up writing short stories because you know you can do them in a couple of weeks, and then get notes back from your agent. Right, get a rejection here, you can pick it up and come back to it. Um, and so it's it's an interesting, I guess, when you're getting rejected, like what types of materials come out of your brain? And, and I think for me, it was a lot of magical realism, a lot of horror. Um, a lot of, um, I guess, um, really sad characters, right. Who are, you know, who have a lot of pain, but you know, they're trying to be funny about it.
1: Did you enjoy writing those stories at that time?
0: Um, I don't know what the word enjoyment means (laughs) when it comes to writing. I don't understand. Um, I think it was kind of a relief for me, um, because the woo woo, I mean, memoir, is hard. Um, there's not, I'm not going to lie. It's one of those things where you have to be honest, um, because the reader can tell if you're not being forthcoming. Um, and so I think it was just honestly a nice break, um, to get away from that voice and that anger of growing up in childhood. Um, so in in many ways, I guess it it was. Hmm.
1: Had you, had you been writing much in the way of short fiction prior to that, or was it really something you picked up in earnest during that that process of of trying to escape the the kind of the grind of shopping the manuscript.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I took um, fiction classes um, at UBC and at Columbia, um, and they were always like, "Well, write something." And I was like, "Okay, well, I've just left Vancouver for New York. I'll just write about Vancouver." And and so um, I think I was just really interested in in the place, especially Rec Beach. I might. When you're like a teenager and um, you know a, f- a university student, you end up going to Rec Beach to have all these parties, and you have to walk down this horrible, you know, these steps of stairs and climb back up. If you're familiar with Vancouver, but everyone has their parties there. And, and now looking back, I I was like, well, why did I do that? It's So much work just to get to that destination, and and I think you know a lot of the places have um, become part of the stories.
1: I imagine there's a drive in. In writing creative nonfiction, that um, that comes from, I guess, you're trying to capture a representation of of people, you know, Thank of characters you. at least, if not if not actual people, events. There's trying something you're trying to get across that you've that that's that's I guess fueled by experience. Did you find that the fuel for writing fiction was was different?
0: Ah, uh, yes and no, but that's a really interesting question. Um because with you know nonfiction, you are you have to follow the facts, right? You can't lie because then the reader, you know knows it's a you're a bad writer, right? If you do that with you know creative um with um fiction, it's like, well, anything goes, right? You can take nonfiction. You can take family history, you can take mythology. you can take a metaphor and you can just run with it. um. You know, sometimes I thought about, like, what if I don't want to do something? If I don't want to do an event, I could become furniture. I could become a sofa chair for, like, you know, 24 hours. Um, and I thought that would be such a great way to, you know, like, describe intergenerational trauma and and how, you know, we want to escape, right? Do we have to be present? Um, and so I'm always thinking about metaphor and, and symbolism in that mm-hmm. sense.
1: Mm-hmm. It's interesting you bring up the the furniture metaphor because, of course, there is a story in which in which that 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 exact is exactly manifested. There's also a lot of cannibalism. <laughs> there there are bodies eating bodies. Yeah. Um, were you like a, a a horror movie kid growing up? Was that like a thing? Like the you know lots of blood and guts and, and B movies? Or is this a, a place for you only in fiction?
0: Oh, I think. Um. Okay. Well, I was. I never really watched horror growing up. Um. But my family always talked about war times and how people had to eat their own children or mm-hmm. swap their own children if you wanted to survive. And so that I think really um, stuck with me, like this fear, like you know, what if there was a war, or what if my parents lost their jobs, would they eat us, right? Um. And I think that kind of you know personal paranoia or fear kind of manifests itself, right? And and so I think. You know, I wanted to explore that too because so much of that um, trauma from our families, right, and their own trauma, really sit with us, and we can't escape it.
1: Are you able to recall uh, if that was sort of the introduction of 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 things like that, of of certain taboos, of certain violent concepts coming to you through a narration of a family history?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my family, um, especially, um, I wrote the memoir, the woo woo, because they don't believe in mental illness. They blame everything on ghosts, right? Anything horrible happens, it's a ghost. And so I think that idea of like cannibalism too, right? That idea, like, you know, will eat you. Um, You know, grandma doesn't have enough food during the war, so she had to eat yams. But um, maybe they ate her younger brother because, you know, he was weaker, right? That idea of Mm. that fear. Um, I think, you know, so much of her family is what they tell us um, can really um, make us think it's normal, right? Mm. And we don't know what is normal sometimes until we leave their, you know, bubble and we go to university and everyone's like, that's messed up. Why would you say that? Right. That's not funny. You know, Why are you Hannibal mm. Lecter? And then yeah. you start to really be like, okay, I can only be honest in fiction because everyone's going to think I'm a crazy person and they're not going to want to be my friend or, or whatever. Right. And so, you know, that's, I think that starts in adolescence. And then when you move to, you know, university and, and whatever.
1: I want to ask because your three books could not be more different Um, we have, (laughs) uh, I mean, the, the woo woo has something in common with these stories in there's, you know, there's, there are arguments made in through lines, but, but then we've got the tangent of my summer of love and misfortune, which I guess we could tie in as well, but they're very different books. Mm -hmm. I can imagine Lindsay Wong is a very different writer depending on where the reader finds her. Where did my summer of love and misfortune come from?
0: was actually asked um, by an editor at uh, Summit pulse um, jennifer ang she came up with this great concept about um, this teen who gets sent to beijing and she asked me you know do you want to write it and i was like yeah sure it sounds really fun and, and so it became a collaboration um, in that sense um you know it's a lot lighter than my you know my sensibility um mm. but i think that's the challenge and beauty of of writing right? when you work with someone else because you get to really see the world through their eyes right mm. um i think you know my some of my humor still comes through and and that um but again you know it's it's a it's a light story it's not a, a lindsey wong story lindsey wong stories have demons and cannibalism and murder and mayhem you know um if it was up to me you know i would probably like kill everyone and yes. i would say that book was really fun to write um because it was lighter it was contemporary romance it was sweeter right Mm. um here you know um in tell me pleasant things about immortality the characters don't get what they want right they really exist in their own brutal world you know they're fighting they're dreaming they all want something but ultimately they don't get what they want and even in death right they're just gonna keep wanting right it's it's almost sad
1: I'm so glad you brought it back around to to the thematic binding of of the stories. As I read them, I felt like they had their own you know, each story of course has its own internal logic. Um it does that m- miraculous thing that short stories do. Each one is teaching you how to read it of giving you the whole world of what will be possible and not. Mm-hmm. And but they all did have kind of a they all they all feel haunted in the same way and as you speak of like the characters wanting and that death doesn't stop Wanting. Was that a mood you wrote around, or is that something only clear to you as as maybe going you know going through editorial revisions and things?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question. i would I would say like it actually goes back to the idea of um ghosts, you know, being around my family and and how like we manifest that superstition. um in Chinese culture, we're always like burning you know money and, and f- fake money, like paper money to our ancestors We're burning fake paper houses because we think like, okay, the dead are among us and they're just like us. They want more houses, right? They want more cars. They want more things, right? And so that I think really became the idea of, you know, this is tradition. This is what our ancestors want.
1: Hmm. Do you remember which story you wrote first?
0: I would say... Um, Wreck Beach because I wrote it. um, I just left uh, Vancouver for New York, and you know, creative writing class. Like, write a story. I'm like, okay, I miss Vancouver, so I'll I'll write Wreck Beach, and then furniture followed again. Um, Mm. I said it in Seattle, but it it should really be in Vancouver. Um, Mm. But it is a West Coast experience, and it is, I think, um, you know, what a lot of immigrant families go through.
1: The collection starts though with Happy Birthday, which. which maybe maybe it's just me. I thought it was just going to be a story about a uniquely unhappy family. But it comes unhinged bit by bit in this way that actually had me um I'd read a page and then I'd skip back and see if I missed something of of um you know is 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 the mother really floating up by the ceiling? Oh no, she really is. That that's really happening. Okay. Um and and you know the way the father is referred to as he becomes uh sort of possessed. Um and that that unhinging that shifting ground beneath my feet was uh, it really set me up to read the rest of the book was was happy birthday always going to be the first story in the collection
0: actually no um sinking houses was um i thought you know we'll have we'll start with the, the classic immigration story where someone leaves right and she marries someone older and has to you know navigate immigration but the world's falling apart um but i was told that you know this story um takes this out of the context, right? People can't relate to the voice until we set it up for them. And I think um, as you mentioned, like happy birthday, it's relatable, but it's weird and it's creepy, but it really sets the tone for the story where and or for the collection where anything can happen.
1: There's a lot of nightmarish stuff in this mm-hmm. book. Not all of it's especially horrific. Um, some, some I think is just surreal. It's kind of got a dream logic to it. I wanted to know, do you Uh, Do you collect these images or do you have like a scrapbook of like, here's a weird idea, here's a gross thing, here's an upsetting thing? Um, How do you, I guess, you know, what's the paint box?
0: I think I'm one of those people, if I hear something interesting or weird, I put it away, I file it away. Um, sometimes I do write about you know personal experience, but then I you know push it more. Like for example, I did a residency um, in Nebraska City, and the grocery store was ten miles away. And just walk down a deserted highway to get groceries anytime you were hungry, and I would walk there by myself, um, buy ice cream. I don't know why I was buying ice cream, but it just felt like I should buy ice cream from Walmart. <laughs> um, and I walk back by myself carrying it, and I was like, this is the end of the world, right? I would probably walk many miles and buy ice cream, and this is how it feels and that became you know sinking houses so it's really just taking that feeling or that moment and expanding on it and you know because it's um fiction anything goes right you're not Mm. confined by yeah so I you know spent all my time in Nebraska City buying ice cream and living in an old nursing home so I could write the woo-woo right that's that's a different story right probably not as interesting
1: We've, we've referred now to sinking houses a couple of times can, can you um just for the listeners benefit can you can you sketch us a little bit more of a picture of, of that world
0: yeah so sinking think, houses is about um an internet order bride um she's very young she's looking for a mother and she ends up marrying this older guy um, in Nebraska city and um she arrives and then the world ends and she's all alone by herself and she has to survive it so it's it's kind of it's a little bit bleak, but um, you know, I, I think it captures a lot about how, what the immigrant experience is, right? You come to a new country, you don't know anyone, and your world literally implodes. Like in, in her case, it does.
1: There was a point, I think, in the basket swimmers mm-hmm. where I realized that what was stressing me out about reading reading these stories was I had no idea what was coming next in terms of plot. Um, okay. even even as each each story sort of laid out its own idiom and 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 as I say, it did that 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 wonderful thing that fiction does of of bringing you into a world, I was just hyper focused on the emotional tenor of characters and of scenes to try to to try to see where we headed and and are we okay and who's okay and who's scared and 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 that that made me then wonder how do you think about plot in short fiction?
0: Yeah, I, I think I don't really think about plot until after. It's really about the characters and their emotions and feelings and how do we, you know, incorporate that all. Um, um The Basket Swimmers, for example, was really based um, on my grandmother's story when um, she survived, like, the rape of Nanking, Um, and she would tell stories about, you know, having to bind her breasts to be a boy, to avoid being raped. And so I'm thinking about the Japanese occupation, right? And what would happen if, you know, they invaded a village full of monsters and who is a monster right um is it the soldiers or the women and in the end you get to see that journey of a young girl um and so when i think about you know who is she what does she want um does she get what she wants and I, i trace that personal journey and then the events kind of unfold after i i think about that so you're you're right to say that i'm always thinking about characters first
1: when when you are constructing plot though i guess maybe maybe in revision as you as you see what you've laid out upon up the page do you work at thwarting expectations how much do you enjoy the engineering of plot
0: Yeah. I think I've never really thought about plot (laughs) as something I do. It's more like, well, this makes sense to me. Right. Um, I have a lot of nightmares. Um, I don't know what it is. I will have like, if I, if I manage to sleep, if I'm not um, you know, if I do sleep, it's like, I'll have these weird surreal dreams where I'm like, the world has ended or I have died, or I came to like a literary launch in Toronto and everyone stoned me to death because that's what, you know, people do in Toronto, apparently in my dream. And that (laughs) makes sense to me. And so I think I operate on this, like this level where I'm like, yeah, you know, it could happen. Why not? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. throw it out there because it's speculative fiction and you're allowed to play with that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think, um, Engineering plot is completely by accident. Um, but hopefully, you know, it works for the reader. It, it keeps them guessing. Um, because, like a dream, we don't know what happens at the end, right? Mm-hmm. But I usually die in my dreams. I always wake up right. and I'm like, oh my God, am I dead? You know, but then I'm like, I'm still alive. So there is an afterlife. Um, you know, I'm either a zombie or a ghost. It doesn't matter. Right. right. I'm a I could be a ghost talking to you now.
1: <laughs> I mean, for all you know, I am a ghost on this on this weird computer screen. Like you
0: it's know. true, right? Awesome. Like, how do we know we're a dead or alive?
1: Do you find in the in the um capturing of your of your nightmares, um that as you get it down on the page, um, I guess what do you do with the blank spots? What do you do when when there's a gap or you come to a spot that you don't want to write it that way. Maybe you want to write it a different way. Where does that show up in the, in the creative process for you?
0: I think I don't have these um these spots you're talking about. All right. I don't, I don't know, but I I just push myself. Like I forge ahead if I'm like stuck. Or if I feel like, you know, the story's not going there, um, I'll try a different way. Um, but for me, I think it's like again, the motion is so important to get to that. Arrival at the end, where you know the characters are the most important part of the story. Um, I think like in in horror, sometimes like it's the shock, the gore, this you know this scare someone. But for me, it's like the horror of of being a woman of color, of of having that pain that you carry, right, as a daughter of immigrants or being an immigrant yourself, right. And and that I think is a largely you know driving force of of the book in in many ways.
1: Hmm. There's a line in the story The Ugliest Girls. Mm-hmm. Um uh you probably can guess what I'm about to say. It's you should not sleep with an ugly girl, but you may eat her. I love it because it struck me as in just in just a few words kind of having the shape or tone of something you'd find in a fable or an allegory.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And I felt like I encountered that a lot in this collection and that actually that makes a lot of sense as you speak about the handed down traditions and and handed down narratives of trauma and just bad stuff happening mm-hmm. back home. How naturally does that tone come to you?
0: Yeah, I think I wanted to really write a story that has spoke about the immigrant experience, but also existed outside of our reality, right? Um, Mm. And I think, you know, that the legend, that story tone, the idea, um, Maxine Hong Kingston, she always had talk story where Mm. you weave mythology and and the supernatural into your world. And and so I think I was really concentrating on that when I was creating the tone for that story. And and I was really thinking about the Wanted Girl, um, you know, in, in Chinese culture, like looks um can dictate your future they say um you know like small ears you're gonna be really lucky um I remember having a mole under my eye and like a couple of years ago um my family pressured me to like remove it I got it I went like and got it burned off because they said you know a mole in your eye you're having a very unlucky and sad life um and so it's that superstition and looks right um mm. especially in Asian culture and and you know being a woman right you're based on your looks
1: as you're getting your dreams down, as you're revising them, clearly, evidently, you don't forget your your nightmares, which is which may be a superpower unto itself, and that you're able to capture them in narrative. When you're working to a resolution at the end, do you ever want to revise it from, from what happened in the dream?
0: Um, well, for the sake of story, um, I will. Right. Yeah. I, I can't have all my characters die because um, yeah. usually my dreams end really abruptly. And, and it's usually me who has died. And, and I'm like, I don't know what happens next. Um, but I think, you know, when you're, you're writing fiction, there has to be some kind of logical conclusion. I mean, the characters, at least for me, don't need to be okay but they need to arrive at some place that's different from the very beginning um i think someone once told me that you don't feel like you need to take care of your characters you don't need to take care of your readers and i think that's really true i expect my readers you know to follow along in that world um and so these characters right they face brutality and violence and and a lot of horrible things um you know people want to eat them for example um but in the end you know they learn something from it or they arrive at a new new level of, of who they who they are right of mm. course you know they don't get what they want unfortunately it's just <laughs> it's not just not that world you know
1: the grotesque as a as a kind of aesthetic seems really well suited to the short story especially these short stories but but as a as a form the grotesque makes sense here because I think things become less grotesque with fami- with familiarity mm-hmm. And we never spend enough time in these stories to get too familiar with our bearings. Were there stories, though, that you wanted to spend more time in?
0: I think, you know, these are stories, they feel contained to me, like these are the worlds, right? It's shocking and brutal. Um, I don't know if they can exist in the long form in the novel. Um, I think my reader would be, you know, too overwhelmed. And so it's like a slice of life in a day of of an immigrant, these are immigrant horror stories, right. Where, you know, they're, they're not, um, they're not written really for the reader or the audience in mind. Right. And you're here to witness it, whether or not you want to. Um, Mm -hmm. and so maybe it it is provocative of me to be like, well, here it is like, you know, eat it or not eat it. I don't care.
1: (laughs) When, when you're at leisure reading, when you can read whatever you like, Mm -hmm. um, what do you, what do you tend to go to?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I feel like I don't ever read for fun anymore. I'm usually, um, you know, <laughs> blurbing or judging something. Um, but right now, um, I've been reading a lot of, of my peers' work, um, especially manuscript drafts, um, mm. you know, a lot of speculative fiction. Um, you know that's coming out in Canada. A lot of uh, really amazing BIPOC writers are are creating, um, you know, horror. They're creating the end of the world. Um, they're taking a lot of risks, um, and especially in, in nonfiction too. There's a lot of experiment going on in terms of structure and and being and and not really thinking about the reader. And I think it's a, we're moving into a, a, a new canlit for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. What's um, is there anything you would name that uh, that's really stood out to you recently?
0: Um, Jessica John's Bad Cree, I think it's uh, amazing look at horror and, and really just focusing on that slow build of tension. Um, you know, She does an amazing job creating that family narrative, but also weaving in the myth of the Wendigo. Um, and I thought that was brilliantly done.
1: Do you like to squirm while you read?
0: I think I do. I, I think so. I, I think I like not being comfortable because I think the writer has done something. I don't want to feel safe when I'm reading. Right, because that's an experience in itself.
1: What What did you read when you were a kid?
0: Oh well, I wasn't much of a reader. Um, I actually didn't learn to read till I was like nine years old. Um, I had to like teach myself how to read. My um, my my parents didn't have like capacity to teach me, and so um, so for me it was really just um, being ashamed of not being able to read. And at nine years old, I was like, okay, boss card children, Lord of the Rings, and I just Anne of Green Gables. I did the whole I in the year. Um, But, you know, it wasn't like reading was natural or I'm not from a a world where people value literature. Like my parents to this day, we don't even talk about my writing career. We don't even talk about the woo-woo, Um, even though, you know, people talk about the book um because of, you know, Canada Reads and, um, you know, mental illness. So we, we just pretend it doesn't exist. I think my family to this day says, like, before they didn't understand me, they, oh, Lindsay's a teacher. Now they understand because I teach creative writing at um, University of Winnipeg. And that's more, um, I guess, normal for them than being like, oh, she, you know, writes books or, you know, <laughs> she, she makes nonsense. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Lindsay's up to some strangeness. We, we're, exactly. we're not sure. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's what I was before because I didn't have a job as a right. writer. I mean, I was a freelance, but that's a nice way of saying unemployed.
1: When did you discover that you liked reading scary books?
0: Mm-hmm. Um that's a good question because I think I I wasn't really I wasn't really a horror reader um but then I I think um it was really just family telling these stories right um the idea and and mythology and and like all these like horrible things that had happened to them that made me think about oh maybe I too can you know, take their experiences, but spin it and, and mix genres. Um, So I confess I'm not, I, I, I think really just very much lately that I've um, discovered horror. So this book
1: Tell me pleasant things about immortality follows your YA novel, like I said, and follow which follows the memoir mm-hmm. as far as as far as readers are concerned. And we know writers work on things when they work on them, and revision throws things back at you, and public publishing cycles and publication schedules are a whole other thing.
0: Oh yeah.
1: But as far as the world knows, this is this was kind of the sequence. And you've you studied creative nonfiction at Columbia.
0: Mm-hmm. As you
1: said, you teach now uh at the University of Winnipeg. How has your sense of yourself as a writer, though, grown or changed um, through these stages?
0: I never think about that, to be honest. I mean, every day, you know, the fresh page is fresh horror, right? It's a blank. (laughs) I have to fill it, right? And I think that's a challenge. Um, You can write many books and still not know how to write another one, right? Every story is different. Every character is different. Um, And so I always feel like I'm a, a new writer every day. I don't feel like I know what I'm doing myself, although, you know, I'm teaching classes you know, I can, it's easy. It's easier to tell someone what's wrong with their manuscript than to look at your own or in your own process. Right. Um, but no, I, I don't feel like I've achieved these milestones. Maybe it's imposter syndrome or it just feels very new and exciting to me. And sometimes miserable because I, <laughs> I don't like to write. <laughs>
1: What are you excited or curious about maybe trying your hand at?
0: Well, I have a novel on contract, so I have to do it. Um...
1: (laughs) That's not exactly the question I asked. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So right now I, I'm um, also, I guess, exploring, you know, elements of horror, um, bridesmaid culture. Um, after I graduated from Columbia, I was really broke. And, and someone from high school that I hadn't talked to asked me if I wanted to be maid of honor at her wedding. And I was like, well, why not? You know, I have nothing to do. Um, but it was like a year of indentured servitude. She was like, I just wanted you to match all the bridesmaids because you were all like cute and Asian, you will know, look Good together, my photos, um, and so in this story, I turn her into a demon bride. Uh, yeah, she was also run over on her wedding day because she was a very mean and terrible bride. And I, I didn't do it. I promise, even though you know I wanted to. <laughs> um, so I think I will draw on you know my life, things that happen in my life, which are insane sometimes, and and really just blend that idea of um, satire and horror. I
1: I can't wait to read about the demon bride. Um, This sounds amazing.
0: Thank you. That's so kind of you. It could be a (laughs) memoir, but then I'd be like a whodunit, I guess.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) Lindsay, thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me. These are really great and insightful questions.
1: It was my pleasure. I've been speaking with Lindsay Wong, whose new book is the short story collection, Tell Me Pleasant Things About Immortality. Find it and all the books we talked about at Kobo and Conversation's home on the web. That's Kobo.com slash conversation. There's a link in the show notes. Kobo and Conversation is produced and hosted this time by me, Nathan Maharaj. Thank you so much for listening.